You're listening to the Weekly Buzz, brought to you by electricianslibrary.com, where we're building the world's largest online informational resource for the electrical trades, including product videos, data sheets, stories, and more. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash electricianslibrary, and follow us on Twitter at electriclibrary. Now, on with the show. Welcome back, Buzz Nation. This is episode 11. Right. We're just rocking and rolling here. So uh, if you saw the little teaser teaser trailer on uh, Facebook, we will not be talking about my wife's flower chair today. I just thought I'd throw that in there for, you know, a little bit of fun, spark a little interest, and then tell you that it's not going to be talked about. Um, but in comparison, we will be talking about Edison's electric chair, and that is a doozy. So, um, anyways, before we get started, let me just uh, poke at you for a little bit. If you haven't signed up for the newsletter at electricianslibrary.com, head over there and uh, and sign up. You'll get all the updates uh, each week telling you what's going to be new on the site uh, with the blog and, of course, with the weekly buzz. I promise I'm not going to be sending you any spam, okay? Um, no spam, and that's just that's not what I do. I just want to keep you updated with uh, what's happening with the site. And uh, if you haven't checked out our Facebook page yet, you can like it at facebook.com forward slash electricians library. And we've got a group too. So check out the, uh, check out the Facebook group, you know, give us a like, uh, you can also check us out on Twitter as well. Um, just look for the handle electric library. Um, and last but not least, make sure to subscribe to the weekly buzz on iTunes. Um, and you know, give us a rating. Hopefully, it'll be five stars. But you know, be honest. I want to make sure that uh, we're getting the the necessary feedback uh, that we need to make this better for you guys out there. One last favor that I've got for you is please tell a friend. Um, let's get the let's keep getting the word out and keep building this thing to help everyone in the industry that we possibly can. So. Uh, just recapping last week a little bit, uh, I left off the war occurrence and Tesla, he was, he was digging ditches at the time just to get by as he was working on his own projects. And then, uh, and then something big happened. He was finally, he was finally going to get his break. So let's, uh, let's jump into the episode now and find out what that, uh, what that break was. Um, but maybe the better question is going to be not what the break was, uh, but who was going to be the break? Who was going to be a savior that uh, swoops in to pick Tesla up and get him out of the, you know, digging ditches for Edison, who he just left because he, uh, in a sense, you know, promised him fifty grand, and then backed out of that. Um, so who is this dude? Uh, he was actually another inventor and a businessman who had designed an air brake for, uh, to make rail, rail travel safer. And then he also was big time into promoting alternating current and, you know, helped, helped invent a few things that revolu- revolutionized the, 
the industry, and this dude's name was George Westinghouse Jr., and I'm sure a lot of you recognize out there uh, the name Westinghouse, um, you know, kind of a, it was, it used to be kind of a big brand out there, so just a little bit of background on, uh, on Big George here. Uh, he, he liked to play around and experiment just like everybody else. And he was getting on the electricity bandwagon too. And he actually developed a transformer that was a step down transformer for AC, which would allow, you know, AC to travel long distances while still making it, you know, readily able to use. So as they, as they throw across power lines at high voltages, they'd use his transformer to step it down and, and be able to use it. And so he saw what was going on between, uh, between Tesla and Edison, and he decided that it was time to, to uh, purchase some of Tesla's patents. And then he hired Tesla on as part of his team to help improve um, the AC motors that Westinghouse wanted to use in his new power system. So in 1886, Westinghouse went, went ahead and formed uh, Westinghouse Electric, and this was so that he was going to be able to compete with, with Edison's DC system. Um, but, you know, not long after, after he was able to secure rights for developing Niagara Falls, um, he did something pretty amazing. You know, he created the first, first larger system that was going to have the capacity and ability to supply electricity for multiple uses, like railway, lighting, power, but he was going to be able to do it all from one single circuit. So this was this was the first that Westinghouse was in on, and you know he was he was a money guy. He had the cash to make a lot of this happen. So he he saw a lot of success, you know, and his businesses you know took off and they flourished right up until you know right around 1907. Then there was there was a big financial panic, and you know we've obviously not been through some as big as what these guys have been you know, saw back then, but you know, this, this panic caused him to lose control of his companies. And so right around, you know, by 1911, he pretty much had severed all ties with, uh, with his businesses. And sadly, you know, sadly at this time, his health began to fail as well. So eventually it took his toll, you know, right around, you know, right around this time, it was pretty sad, but you know, Westinghouse, you know, he died in 1914 and this, this ended one of the most prolific careers in, in American invention history. So, you know, he, he had a good run. He did a lot of, a lot of amazing things, but eventually it just, it took his toll and, and, uh, you know, went the way of all the earth, I guess you would say. So, <clears throat> so that's kind of a, that's kind of just touching on Westinghouse and, and a little bit of his background and what he did. But let's let's jump back into uh, to our other friends, good old Edison and Tesla, that we've learned so much about over the last uh, last several weeks, and and continue on with uh, with what they were doing uh, against each other, basically. So Tesla, he he left Edison in you know 1885, and his goal was he was going to go out and raise capital on his own. And he was going to start Tesla Electric and Light and Manufacturing Company, and that's when that's when Big George came along and gulped up some of the patents. And you know, in true business fashion, he set about commercializing the system that was going to make electric light 
into something, you know, a lot more than just an urban luxury service. It wasn't just going to be for the rich people anymore. It was going to go to everywhere it could possibly go. So the Westinghouse Electric Company, it uh, it quickly began promoting the AC system that was going to compete against the, the older DC system of Edison's. And, you know, due, due to lack of funds, Tesla's and ideas, Tesla's, Tesla's ideas, you know, his ambitions, they probably would have been, been brushed aside because if you don't have money, there's no way to get out and promote them. But Westinghouse, he was the man. He had both the ambition and the capital. And, you know, Edison, Edison saw that. He recognized that, that uh, this was going to be a pretty major threat to his business. So he needed to start figuring out how to and what to do to start trying to bring this guy down. And, you know, Tesla, uh, on the other side, he, he pretty much hosed himself with Edison, you know, by selling his rights to, you know, the AC power system that, that he had come up with by selling it to Westinghouse. He, he, he didn't do very much to endear, endear himself to Edison. So it, uh, it pretty much sealed the deal that they were going to be, uh, that they were going to be on different sides of the fence for the rest of the time. So um, the the money that Tesla earned from his involvement with Westinghouse, though, allowed him to set up his own lab where he was able to uh, carry out his own studies. And in a lot of areas, he was able to invent uh, a lot of other novel devices. So, you know, it helped out Westinghouse. It helped out Tesla. Made Edison pretty scared. And what scared him even worse is, you know, within about a year's time, Westinghouse Electric began installing its own generators around the country. And, you know, he focused mostly on the less populated areas that Edison couldn't get to. You know, Edison's systems just couldn't get there. And, you know, these weren't his only focus. He, you know, he was making headway in in some of the bigger cities like New Orleans, basically doing whatever it took to the point where he was even selling electricity at a loss you know, in order to, in order to start cutting into, into Edison's business. And so Westinghouse was, he was one of those shrewd players. He knew, uh, he knew how to get things done. So after, you know, after about a year of doing this, he already had more than, you know, more than half as many generating stations as Edison did. And Edison was, he was freaking out. He didn't know what to do. The, you know, the concern that they had, the concern that, that was going on within the company was, you know, it was pretty palpable. And a lot of the sales agents around the country, they were just, they were beat down. They were demoralized. They couldn't believe the reach that Westinghouse was getting into the rural, rural areas, the suburban areas. It just, they could not believe it. But then it happened. A light bulb came on and Edison he had an idea. I'm sorry, I just couldn't resist throwing that in, but but he did. He had an idea, and he figured that Westing's house system had to be more dangerous than his system. You know, with all that with all that high voltage passing through the wires, uh, he said he said it's just as certain as death, and he predicted that Westinghouse will kill a customer within six months after he puts a system in of any size. And so, so Edison, Edison was starting to, he was starting to find his way. He was starting to figure out 
how he could bring down the alternating current and how he could start to how he could start to get others on his side as well so then you know in november of 1887 it was it was just like fate had struck he edison received a letter from from a dentist in buffalo buffalo new york and this dentist, which this was kind of strange to me, the dentist would be trying to figure this out, but, you know, this dentist was trying to develop and figure out a more humane method um, of execution than hanging, because hanging was the, it was the deal at the time, and, you know, you see the dentist, what had happened was the dentist had witnessed a drunk guy, and uh, this this guy that was drunk, he accidentally you know, touched a live electric generator and killed himself, electrocuted himself. And so after he saw this, you know, he he pretty much became convinced that uh, that the electricity was going to provide a quicker, you know, less painful death uh, for criminals who, who were contemned to this capital punishment. Um, this dentist's name was Alfred P. Southwick, if any of you are interested in that uh, information, but so he, he, uh, he took it to Edison. He wanted to see what Edison thought about this. And, you know, perhaps, you know, the wizard of Menlo park, um, you know, that's one of, one of Edison's affectionately called names is the wizard of Menlo park, but perhaps he might, you know, have some, have a few thoughts about the best way electric current could, produce death with certainty in all cases but you know edison edison had a little bit of a different stance you know he was opposed to capital punishment and he he didn't really believe in him so at first he was he was pretty much opposed to it at first he you know he didn't really want to be involved in the project but but southwick he he wasn't willing to give up he kept persisting kept persisting and eventually Edison started to recognize the opportunity he had that was just falling into his lap. You know, he knew that he could, that he could bring AC power and, uh, and Westinghouse to their knees. He, he was going to be ruthless with this thing. And you're going to hear in just a minute how ruthless he ended up being because it was, it actually was pretty disturbing. Some of the things that they did. So he, he wrote back to, uh, to the dentist and, he, you know, he said that, you know, he would join heartily in an effort. This, this is what the letter said. He would join heartily in an effort to totally abolish capital punishment. Uh, although he would join heartily in an effort to abolish capital punishment. He did have some thoughts about electric currents in which to dispose of criminals under the sentence of death. The most effective of these, he wrote, are known as alternating machines manufactured principally in this country by Mr. George Westinghouse in Pittsburgh. So, you know, the pursuit of the better killing machine began, and in 1888, uh, Edison, he began to demonstrate just how lethal alternating current was for reporters around the country. And this is this is where it starts to get, uh, I don't know, a little dicey. Uh, but what he did to start testing this theory out is, he rigged up a sheet of tin, okay, and then he hooked up uh, the generators at the time were called dynamos. So he rigged up the AC dynamo, and he led a dog onto the tin to take a drink from a metal pan. Uh, 
Now, once the dog had touched the metal surface, you know, it yelped out, and they quoted that the little cur dog fell dead. So they tested it out, electrocuted a dog right off the bat, and basically Edison's prediction was that this electricity will kill a man in ten thousandths parts of a second. And, uh, you know, Edison was, he was pretty quick to inform everybody and remind everybody that, you know, it wasn't DC current that needed to be used to kill people. You know, he reminded them that the current that should come to do this would be from an alternating machine. So he was, he was out for blood. He was out to uh, make Westinghouse and Tesla look as bad as possible. So, uh, with that, let's take a quick break for the definition of the week, and we will be back with more from uh, from the battlefield of the War of the Currents. So stay tuned. This NEC definition of the week is brought to you by electricianslibrary.com. The definition this week is ground fault, an unintentional electrically conductive connection between an ungrounded conductor of an electrical circuit and the normally non-current carrying conductors, metallic enclosures, metallic raceways, metallic equipment, or earth. All right, welcome back. So uh, let's get back to the war currents. Um, you know, Edison, I uh, just told you Edison started testing out uh, testing out electricity, trying to trying to give it a bad rap uh, on the alternating current side. And, uh, you know, the battle, it just continued to rage on. You know, Westinghouse recognized that Edison was, uh, what Edison was up to. And so he, uh, you know, I guess instead of sending a text, cause they couldn't do that. He, he penned, uh, he penned a letter to Edison, you know, rebuking him and telling him what would, what he thought about what was going on. And, and this is, this is a few of the things that he wrote. He says, I believe there has been a systematic attempt on the part of some people to do a great deal of mischief and create as great a difference as possible between the Edison Company and the Westinghouse Electric Company when there ought to be an entirely different condition of affairs. So, you know, Westinghouse was, was telling him, hey, there's you guys are out causing trouble. There's people out there causing trouble. We should be on the same team. We should both be trying to figure out um, what's going on and how to make these better. But, you know, Edison didn't, he didn't see a reason to cooperate. He, he wanted to continue experiments, you know, testing varying voltage levels, you know, with lots of stray dogs. And what he would do is he would, he would purchase these stray dogs from neighborhood boys in, uh, in Orange, New Jersey at about a quarter apiece. So not only was Edison creating a new market for stray dogs, but, you know, his, his research was, was proving that alternating current was, you know, beyond all doubt, more fatal than continuous current, which they didn't even test out DC current to see what it would do in one of these situations. So by the end of the year, Edison, he, he had arranged a demonstration before, now get this, before the government, before New York state committee, that was a panel to investigate the use of electricity for executions. So, you know, he set up this meeting with the, with the New York state committee. And so he did this in his lab in West orange and he took any wired electrodes to, you know, several calves and a horse. And, you know, even these animals did not die quick. You know, it did not happen as nearly as fast as what they thought they would. 
And even though it wasn't quick, the committee was still impressed, you know. They uh, they thought this was going to be a good thing. And obviously, if this was a good thing, you would think that uh, it would be a good, for, good thing for Westinghouse, right? Because now the New York State would want to buy some of these di- dynamos. And it turns out that they actually approached Westinghouse and wanted to buy three of these dynamos. Now... Westinghouse, he wasn't impressed. And he, you know, that could have been some good money, but he refused to sell them to the state because he didn't believe that they should be used for that purpose. You know, and he didn't want his name being associated with with the term that they've now dubbed electrocution. You know, it just, it didn't matter to him. And <clears throat> the problem is that, and you know it as well as I do, but when someone wants something bad enough, um, especially when it's a government entity, they always find a way to get it. So there was a there was an electricity salesman named Harold Brown, and he was commissioned by the state to build an electric chair. And you know whether they knew or didn't know, Edison was pay, was also paying him behind the scenes to use alternating current in his design. <coughs> but uh, Somehow, even though Westinghouse wasn't willing to willing to sell to him, he got his hands. Uh, this this Brown Harold Brown was able to get his hands on some of these AC dynamos. So, <clears throat> so now they move on to the first human test subject. You know they've already they've already done it on some stray dogs, stray cats, calves, horses, and uh, it was time to move on and and test it on a person. So, so when the New York State sentenced. Uh, convicted convicted murderer William Kemmler to death. He would, you know, he would go down as the first in history. And what a what a thing to go down in history for being the first person electrocu- electrocuted in an electric chair. Uh, but he was he was slated to be the first. And uh, you know Edison he took a new look on capital punishment. He's even quoted as saying, you know, as saying killing criminals with electricity is a good idea. It'll be quick. And that criminal can't suffer much, so he even introduced a new word to the to the Americans, which uh, <clears throat> this is also another one of those things that you really don't want uh, want coming up with your name. But um, this was uh, you know this was becoming more and more concerning, you know about the dangers of electricity. But <clears throat> excuse me, but. Uh, you know, they were going to start saying that the convicted criminals would be Westinghoused. So they weren't going to be electrocuted, but they would be Westinghoused. So just to, you know, pour salt in the wound and make things even worse, uh, that's that's what they were going to try to call it. So just think about how how you would feel if your name was going to be the one touted as, as the word that was going to be used for killing somebody. So... As you can, as you can probably imagine, you know Westinghouse. He was hot. He was livid, and this this could cost him millions if uh, if Edison's propaganda, you know, convinced the public that AC would be would be lethal to homeowners. You know, if they could convince people not to buy to buy AC power, then uh, Westinghouse was done. So he even he even went as far as to contribute about a hundred grand towards legal fees for Kemmler's appeal, you know, in the in the Supreme Court to try to stop the electrocution, um, and tried to and tried to uh, you know push the idea that 
that the death in the electric chair was going to be, you know, pretty much paramount to cruel and unusual punishment. And he may not have been too far off on that. Um, you know, even though this was, this was a pretty unsuccessful waste of cash, uh, <clears throat> to try to appeal this because on, uh, on August 6th, 1890, you know, Kemmler was, he was strapped into Harold Brown's chair and this took place in, in Auburn prison. And, you know, they wired him up to one of these AC dynamos. <clears throat> now, when, uh, when the, when the current hit him, you know, and this is, you know, it's not something that I, uh, would ever hope to witness or anything like that. But, um, when, when the current hit him, Kemmler's fist clenched so tight that, uh, that the blood began to trickle from his palm, you know, down the arm of the chair. And, uh, and witnesses re- report that, uh, you know, his face contorted and, after about 17 seconds, think about that, 17 seconds, the powers finally shut down. <clears throat> and uh, and Arthur Southwick, you know, remember the dentist who was uh, considered to be the father of the electric chair, he was actually in attendance to see see this happen. And, uh, you know, he proclaimed to all the witnesses there that, that uh, quote, this is the culmination of 10 years' work and study. We live in a higher civilization today. Now... As he said that, you know, sitting behind him in the in the electric chair is is uh, Kemmler, and uh, he began to shriek for air. You know, this dude just had 17 seconds of 6,000 volts put to him, and he's still alive. And somebody yelled it. He's alive. You know, turn on the current. Turn on the current. Somebody else screamed, and you know they're saying this man, and he's not dead. And so. The problem with this was was back then it couldn't it wasn't a an instant thing. Uh, you know the dy- the dynamo it had to have time to rebuild its current, and so Kemmler's sitting there wheezing, wheezing and gasping, and you know there's people watching this happen, and uh, you know they're pretty horrified. That's that's a pretty bad deal, you know. And, uh, so they watched as the electricity began to, you know, just course through his body and it was tough for some of them to watch, you know, some fainted, others were puking their guts out. And then, uh, you know, he was, I mean, Kemmler looked like he was about ready to regain consciousness again. So, you know, all of this happened then to make things worth the back of his coat caught fire. And then, uh, it was, you know, it was minutes before he finally went stiff again, before he went rigid. And they stopped the current again. You know, the doctor pronounced him dead. <clears throat> and then after this, the doctor actually the doctor actually predicted that there would not be another electrocution. Um, now, obviously, they've, I guess if you could say, perfected the, the, uh, the uh, process and i i haven't done much research on i don't know if they're even still using it but uh you know westinghouse he he was horrified at the reports of what had happened and uh and he's quoted as saying you know it's been a brutal affair and uh that they could have done better with an axe which it sounds like you know probably would have been less you know more humane and less cruel and unusual if they would have just used an axe so you know, these are, these are like I say, these are the Wild West. These are pioneer days. This is when things were young and they were still trying to figure things out. So, you know, 
even even through all this, you know, Edison was convinced that you know the future executions by AC were going to go a lot smoother, you know, and that this this was just the beginning, and so he was man, he was on a mission. He was he was going to further he was going to further demonstrate how how deadly and lethal you know alternating current was, and so another thing that he did, which is this is amazing. Also, he went to a Coney Island in New York, and there was an elephant there named Topsy, and she was considered to be too dangerous to be around people. You know, she had killed three men. And, uh, you know, one of them just happened to be one of the trainers who had actually tried to feed, you know, good old Topsy a lit cigarette. But what, you know, Edison had done since Topsy had been sentenced to death, basically, is uh, he fitted her with, with copper wire sandals. And with thousands of people standing right there, he took that 6,000 volts and sent that coursing through that elephant's body until she finally just fell over dead. You know, so... He wasn't afraid to just keep killing stuff. <laughs> it's just, you know, I'm going to prove that, uh, that this stuff's deadly, and so we're just going to keep t- stealing stuff. So so in the meantime, while Edison's killing stuff, um, Tesla, he's he's hard at it, you know. So by 1891 was when he finally had developed the Tesla coil. And I'm sure, you know, if you are, aren't familiar with the Tesla coil, you know, it's, it's a, basically a high-frequency transformer. And it produces a pretty, you know, pretty extremely powerful electrical field, and you know, had had a lot of many different uses. But you know, it's it's mostly been used in in radios and electronics. So, so Tesla wasn't killing stuff. He was still trying to invent and still trying to uh, to make progress and and bring things bring things forward. So, so, but I mean, despite you know, despite all of Edison's efforts, you know. Even with his attempts to persuade GE, you know, and, you know, the superior of AC current, it was just too much. You know, they knew that it was superior, and uh, the DC current just couldn't overcome it. So, in 1893, Westinghouse was awarded the contract for uh, the Chicago World's Fair. And this is where a lot of the, you know, the positive publicity that he needed to make AC current to the industry standard. This is where it came from, was the, was the World Fair. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> later Edison, you know, he pretty much just admitted that uh, he really re- regretted not taking Tesla's stance because he knew that uh, that this was the way that he needed to go. So <clears throat> one other thing about Tesla, you know, that he that proved that he was, you know, ahead of his time, ahead of the game, was he actually invented a remote-controlled boat. And this was right around 1898. But he he knew that this technology would be useful for the military and uh, for other things, but pretty much for a long time, it just remained, a, you know, not much more than a novelty, you know, a toy. And so he just, he was never really taken seriously. And one of the other reasons he wasn't taken seriously is you know, he, he'd relocated from New York over to uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado, because he needed some more space. And uh, he said that, you know, the a- atmospheric conditions for his his high-voltage experiments were better over there. And that's pretty much where he discovered what he called uh, terrestrial stationary waves. And these were 
<clears throat> these were the waves that are, you know are within the earth and uh, measures the resonance resonant <clears throat> excuse me resonance frequency of the planet and uh, and so some of this stuff just basically became you know stuff for reporters to make fun of you know they were always questioning Tesla's claims and you know even even to the point where he claims that he had received extraterrestrial radio signals and they just no one ever took him really much as a as a serious scientist after that you know he was he was known as an eccentric but the cool thing about tesla is that he never really let anybody uh he never let anybody put him down you know he was going to keep going after his his beliefs and thoughts and ideas and that's what he was going to do he didn't care what other people were going to say so even you know tesla he he had a lot of hard times he he you know he struggled and his colorado lab was was being dismantled because he had to pay off some debts but even while this was happening he was he was planning his next major event um he was able to get the some financial backing from J.P. Morgan, and he began planning, um, now once again, ahead of his time, but he was planning to do some wireless wireless broadcasting across the globe, and he was going to have a tower built up in, uh, back over in New York on Long Island. So this is, and I mentioned this in one of the previous uh, podcasts, but this was where Wardenclyffe came into play, and this is where the Wardenclyffe Tower was, uh, was, beginning to be built in the early 1900s. Uh, but another issue, you know, once again, you know, the funding got pulled. You know, J.P. Morgan pulled out of the deal, um, and it was scrapped. And then if, since Tesla didn't have the funding, he wasn't going to be able to achieve his dream of the, you know, of the wide-scale wireless tele- telecommunication, you know. And, and he was planning on wireless power transmission as well. And so... This this was you know this was a tough time for Tesla. He he really you know really had a hard time recovering. In fact, he didn't really recover from it, you know, because because nobody really understood the the potential of Tesla's plans. And if they'd have known then, you know, if they could have seen it then and seen what we're doing today, then uh, obviously a lot of them would have <clears throat> would have changed their minds. So. So, you know, sadly, you know, in 1943, Tesla died in uh, in New York in a hotel. You know, he was in debt, just like he was for most of his life. You know, the money problems, you know, they kept him from, you know, getting a lot of his inventions to, to come to pass. And a lot of his ideas just hung around in his notebooks and never were, you know, they never were brought to life. They never materialized. So... The funny thing is, and this, not ha-ha funny, but this is kind of what happens with a lot of people, I think, is that after he died, he was won, he was awarded from the Supreme Court of Victory on a battle that he was having with a gentleman named Marconi regarding some of the patent rights to, to radio, you know? And so he did win that, although he didn't live to see it. So... uh kind of a bad deal that such a such a genius and a talented guy couldn't get uh, get his things to become very widely uh widely accepted and uh brought to fruition so 
you know, all this, all this took place in New York. This was the battleground. This was, this was the place of the current wars. And New York, of course, had already invested in a lot. I mean, a number of Edison's, uh, Edison's installations for direct current. And these were, I mean, these were working for, you know, many years, many years later alongside uh, the AC network that was also being built. And it really, you know, it wasn't really until 1927 that that New York decided that it was going to start to replace all the DC equipment. And amazingly enough, you know, it was not until 2007 when uh, the last of the DC equipment was was removed from New York. You know, that was that was a full 125 years after the end of the war occurrence. So, you know, obviously, you know, in today's world, we're using AC and DC side by side now. You know, they're hand in hand. We're charging with AC. We're using with DC. You know, cars, batteries, uh, so many solar, so many things are using direct current. And uh, you know, of course, our our main sources of of generation come from alternating current. You know, they they both have their place, and they both, you know you know, we don't know what we'd do without either one of them today. Um, so it's, it's really going to be interesting to see what happens in the future and where, you know, where electricity goes. And it's exciting times with, with the way that technology is advancing and with the way it's going, we just, we don't even know where we're going to be in five to 10 years. So, so this, I mean, this wraps up the war currents, you know, over the last six weeks, we've learned quite a bit about uh, the humble beginnings of electricity, of, you know, Edison and Tesla, you know, how it's come to be what it is today. And, uh, you know, I hope that, uh, that it's provided, you know, many of you out there with something to look forward to, uh, each day with, uh, with your electricity and, and it's provided a lot of, you know, a lot of jobs and, and, uh, it's just, you know, advancing. It's, it's wonderful. I love to see the, the progress and the progression. So anyways, that was part two and I appreciate you uh, coming along the journey. Um, it's, it's been interesting learning these things and be able to present them to you. So next week we're going to uh, kind of move on and talk about, start talking about some other subjects that will be hopefully be useful and beneficial to you in the electrical uh, trades and the industry, uh, no matter what you're doing out there. So again, I just want to thank you for listening and uh, until next week, stay grounded. The safety tip of the week is brought to you by electricianslibrary.com. Here's your tip. Every year electricians are injured or killed by circuits that they thought were safely turned off. Simply shutting off the power is not enough. A lot of dangerous conditions may still exist, so make sure that you always test the circuit before you actually touch it. You may not get a second chance to do this. Most electrically related fatalities and injuries could be easily avoided. Responsibility for your safety begins with you. So take the steps to protect yourself every day and make safety an integral part of how you do business.